Repentant Sinner, and this is Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host. Hello. And welcome to the inaugural episode of Without Works, the podcast that explores, through modern politics and culture, how the current climate of fundamentalism has distorted Christianity. So thank you so much for listening. This is our, as Lemuel said, inaugural podcast. We're going to do a little bit of the who, what, when, where, and why of this new show we're embarking on. We'll start with the what. Lemuel, what are we doing here? So the purpose of what we're doing is we're looking at Christianity and how it's been distorted through modern culture, which is what we said in the intro. Right. And it's going to give us a a chance of recontextualizing what this faith means to a modern audience. I think there are a lot of people who are unchurched, who haven't been raised in the church. Let's define that term. That term. Unchurched. Unchurched sounds like an insult. Oh, it's not. But it isn't. Mm -mm. It's what I am. Right. Uh, I've been to church, you know, once. It was in Spanish. I am not a native Spanish speaker. So I was not raised within a church. That is all unchurched yes, means, right? Yes, no sort of, it's not a pejorative term. Right. As a matter of fact, in evangelical circles, they talk about the people that they're, you know, reaching out to as the unchurched. It's not like saying the unwashed, which I think right. is a similar, that's, it sounds the same. I think that's right. Okay, um, so we're we're aiming this at people who don't have a context mm-hmm. for Christianity other than what they see right. in the news. In the news. And what that doesn't give you is exactly how progressive and modern some of the church is. The loudest voices tend to be the voices of very conservative forces in the church, evangelical forces in the church that are not moving forward or progressing with people's individual rights. And they, everything for their Christianity gets stuck on arguments about abortion or homosexuality or, or the ability of people... Live life outside of what they consider is, quote, correct. Right. And so what I want to do, based on my personal experience in life, is to remove uh, the sort of exclusivity of Christianity that's happened now, where it's in the hands of people of a very conservative or evangelical bent. And it's like you want to take it back. Not take it back. That sounds silly because that's like a, a term now. They didn't take it away from you, no. but you'd like to... Open it up to other voices, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of them. And there's a lot of people who have a very different version of the same faith. And unfortunately, to people who aren't familiar with it, it all sounds the same. Right. So William Barber and some very progressive ministers don't sound, when they touch the ideology of what they believe, much different from someone like Jimmy Swaggart. They're using right. the same kinds of words, but they're saying something completely different. So that's what I kind of want to do. It's it's almost become as if Christianity is the sole ownership of a group of people who are bending it a certain way. Gotcha. And what we want to do is see the different ways it can be taken, and also where fundamentalism has really taken it and become its own kind of religion outside of Christianity. Okay. And this might seem a silly question in light of the way you responded to the previous question, but right. why do you think now is the time to start something like that. I'll this. tell you where the idea for this first entered my head. And I was watching the presidential debates with Romney and Obama, and there was a lot of discussion of Romney's faith 
that came into it. And also these weird accusations that Obama somehow was Muslim and not Christian. Right. During this time, my son, who was much younger... Right. This he, was... This was the 2012 election, so we're looking at six to seven years ago. Yes. So he was very young at the time, but old enough to understand things for himself, and he was very puzzled and confused by some of the things that conservative religious figures were saying. And it's like, this is our religion. Do we believe that? Do we believe what he's saying? And so I said, well, why don't you do this? I'm going to have you read the Gospel of Luke, all right, which is a big historical uh, gospel. From the New Testament. From the New Testament. And so uh, the Gospel of Luke is a a good one because it starts before Jesus is born. It ends after uh, the resurrection. And so everything that you need to know is included in that Gospel. It's very comprehensive. Well, the Jesus part. In terms of the Gospel, because all the Gospels refer to Jesus' life. But Luke is a big comprehensive one that was written for Gentiles rather than for Jews specifically. So I gave it to him to read, and he read it. And at one point... When I was asking how he was doing, he looked at me and he said, Jesus sure doesn't know much about Christianity. And I started laughing, of course, because that's funny. And I'm like, well, what leads you to say that? And he said, he's constantly talking about taking care of the poor and ministering to people in prison. And he's taking care of the sick. And he's basically spending his time with prostitutes and with tax collectors and people who are on the skids of society. So this Jesus doesn't understand Christianity because that's not what Christianity is about. So did he follow that up with telling you what Christianity, what he thought Christianity well, was about? Well, pretty much what I said is Christianity seems to be about excluding people or, you know, it's a very law and order Christianity. People who did bad things are locked in jail, that we're doing wrong to help people with social programs that they actually have to do for themselves. That all the kind yeah, of rhetoric. Yeah, I don't think Jesus ever said the phrase bootstraps no no sandal straps maybe but in a Mm. different context different context but the thing was he was getting a completely distorted version from what he was hearing from these figures and what he was actually reading and so it was puzzling to him because he thought well you know this is the same jesus is this the same person what i want to do is i realized that i had a lot of friends who were unchurched people who didn't have the same experience that i did and so i was worried they were going to be kind of like my son, they're going to see Christianity only through the lens that's presented to them through the media and through conservatism and that kind of Christian, that kind of version of the faith that's taken over. When recently there was the issue with separating kids from their parents at the border and putting them essentially in what amounts to a prison camp yes. for children. Mitch McConnell, I think it was, had the nerve to use scripture to justify what he was doing. I think that is the day that we decided this was yeah, going to be Yeah, it had be to be thing. done because it's, no, this is not. And what's very strange is that the scriptures he, were, he was using were really selectively cut about law and order because one of the great virtues of both the Old and New Testament is their stories about respect for strangers and taking care of people who are foreigners living in your country and you don't oppress them, you don't oppress widows, you don't oppress children. Jesus himself rarely mentions hell. He mentions hell really inside of two contexts. One of them is religious hypocrisy, and the other one is people who hurt children. And so the idea that Jesus in any way could be used to justify separating children from their parents and locking them up in in a camp, an internment camp, it's ridiculous. Let's move on to the who. Who are you? It sounds like you might have uh, maybe a Christian background of some sort, what is your uh, background? Why do you get to school us on these things? <laughs> it's, that's what I'm most worried about, that I'll be seen as schooling people, which I don't. I was a Sunday school teacher. 
I am a practicing Christian. I am a practicing Christian who hasn't been to church in a long time. This is not because I lack faith. It is because other Christians make me very nervous. You never know exactly what kind of Christianity you're going to confront in a church if they're going to be the kind who are going to be very conservative. And there's that kind of tension sometimes. I believe in the Apostles' Creed. My faith hasn't changed in what I believe, but the way I apply it has changed a great deal. Um, My mother was a minister in the Assemblies of God Church. And for uh, those of you who are unfamiliar with it, the Assemblies of God Church was, or is, an evangelical church. It has 62 million members. It's enormous. And they believed in um, the virtues of speaking in tongues. That was a big one for them. Okay, so this is a speaking in tongues Mm -hmm. church. It's a Pentecostal church. Pentecostal. I thought that was only in the South for some reason, but I am no, wrong. It's the, that movement started here in California, and it spread everywhere. And so Maybe it's, I'm thinking of snake handling. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the issue. People really believe that the two are you know, interconnected. They're not. They are, because <laughs> in media, mm-hmm. they are connected this to This is another, the kind of reason so. why we're having this podcast. Yes. People see it you know, as... We'll have a whole episode on Pentecostal. <laughs> what is it? So you were raised inside the Assemblies of God Church with a minister mother. Right. All of my family members were in the church at some point or another. Some got to be missionaries. Some got to be, uh, one is an active minister right now. And so I was surrounded by them and we were uh, inside the church and really adhering to a very strict version of Christianity. Now, this includes teetotalitarianism. Nope. We didn't drink. <laughs> there was no alcohol Y'all's in the house. Y'all's teetotalers. <laughs> there was, it, there was no, There's no drinking. No drinking, no dancing. I, I'll give you an example of this because the evangelical church, there's a sort of a big umbrella. And I went to a, a school that wasn't with the Assemblies of God, but it was also an evangelical school. And when we went in, we had to sign an ethics code that included not watching R-rated movies and not using profanity on our, our own time outside of school. Did you have the purity no, oaths? No, we didn't okay. have that. But we did have this sort of agreement that, you know, we wouldn't watch this. And there was no, of course, absolutely no sexual contact or contact with the opposite sex. There was a very strange idea that somehow I'm supposed to, the marriages are prearranged or something. And it's like... Well, there are denominations. There, there are denominations And so everything that. gets mushed together. So we're mm-hmm. just clarifying what your right. structure was. Uh, our thing was we went to church four times a week. What uh, days was that? Oh, we did it. There was two services on Sunday. There was one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. And sometimes you would have prayer vigils on Friday nights that would last until two or three in the morning. And having a mother who was a minister, six o'clock in the morning, we'd be woken up out of bed. We'd all sit there and read the scripture and pray for half an hour or 15 minutes, depending on the day. Every day? Every day, except okay. for the weekends. And if you missed a day, you'd actually do it on the weekend. And so that, that was just my family. That was what we did. We woke up every, every morning, you know, weekday morning, and we did this before we got breakfast and before we went to school. I would like to point out that you are saying that you would, in fact, open the Bible and read from it. Yes, at 6 o'clock in the morning when you're half asleep. And... Right, but I feel like I've had conversations mm-hmm. with proclaimed Christians who did not actually read the book. Right. You have read the book. When I was a kid, I didn't, I wasn't athletic. I was smart, but th- that didn't get me anywhere. So what I did is that I was going to be the most devout child ever. And so I read the entire Bible through six or seven times by the time I was 12. 
during these prayer meetings, I would be there at the altar praying for the longest. I was like out praying the adults. It was like an athletic event for me. And so it, it got to be pretty terrible. I must have been a really awful Bible student because I would sit there and, and not argue with my teachers, but I had read it enough to actually correct some of the things that they were saying. Doesn't it say here? And, you know, that was kind of a pest. But I really thought that was the way that I was somehow gaining an edge or winning by doing these things. Coming from this very strange, devout background, I'm curious about you and how it must all seem to you. Tell us about you. What it all seems like to me is that there are a lot of people who are hypocrites Mm -hmm. uh, in the world spouting that the Bible says things that the Mm -hmm. Bible does not say. I will go ahead and use the phrase unchurched. I'll (laughs) I'll get comfortable with it. I am unchurched. I was raised by a mother who was raised Catholic, but by the time she had me uh, was no longer practicing or believing. She, uh, I think, in the one conversation about religion that we ever had, she thought God was a nice idea. She'd had a pretty hard life at that point. My father believed in nothing except that the world owed him for what it is unclear. I am intrigued in my current life Mm -hmm. by people who go to a space for companionship and camaraderie and to share belief. I think that that's cool. I'd probably go to a Unitarian service and not feel too, like, icked out about it. Mm -hmm. I personally ascribe to a belief that Jesus was a real person, historically, this is pretty much been proven. So uh, that's where I'm at. I personally, my specific belief about Jesus is that he was, I believe in reincarnation Mm. to a point or becoming more enlightened. Uh, I believe that he was a very enlightened soul who came into Bethlehem Mm -hmm. when he came into Bethlehem and used the beliefs of the people he was born to, to get them to the next level. Looking at him like a Buddha figure, something like that, yeah. uh, where he was a real cool guy that was not born to a virgin, not the son of God, did not raise from the dead. These are my beliefs. I'm going to reiterate. I, But I do think that he was a teacher who tried to elevate his people using the faith of the people he was around. So that's that's my uh, take on Christianity. In my life, I abhor two things the most, entitlement and hypocrisy. And evangelicals who get on TV and say the things that they tend to say generally tick both of those boxes. So I have a fundamental issue with them, but not with the faith, because mm-hmm. I I have read all of the Bible, not in a long time. Uh, I studied it in college as literature, right. took classes on the Bible as literature, and I also believe the Bible is written by men, mm-hmm. uh, edited by men to make other men happy, see King James. Uh, so... It's not the divine word of God. It didn't get zapped into existence. So, of course, there are conflicting things in there. That's what happens when men do a thing. That's where I stand. I am an agnostic. I'd love to believe in a thing. 
I'm not where I can believe in a thing, but I do believe that we're all here on this earth and it's probably best not to be a dick. <laughs> so that's how I try to live my life. I find it interesting, your interpretation that you expressed right now of Christianity is very much the way that it's seen by Buddhists and by Hindus, mm -hmm. in that Jesus is viewed as a bodhisattva. Right. Of compassion or a bodhisattva, or in Hinduism, I believe, he's viewed as an incarnation of Vishnu. Mm -hmm. And then again, it's like I'm not offended by the fact that you believe differently than I do. That's right. A, to give you an example of how it works in the evangelical church, when I was a kid, they talked to us about things like swearing or promiscuity. And this is where I really began to have a problem with it, is even as a kid, is that uh, we had a Sunday school teacher who showed up with a plank and a hammer and nails. And his position was when you ask for forgiveness from God from, through Jesus Christ, because everything, God is unattainable. We're asking through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. At least that was the, the way that he was putting it, even though this is not quite what Jesus was teaching. But God is unattainable. You reach him through Jesus Christ. And so when you ask for God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. That's the way that Christianity works. But this is what he did to demonstrate to us. He hammered the nail into the board. He hammered several of them. And then he pulls them out and he says, yes, God can forgive you, but this is what your life looks like afterwards. That right? does not seem like what the, board the teaching is warped, say. It is split. There's holes in it. It's just, and this was the impression he was trying to give on young people. And so one of the issues with evangelicalism is that it's very emotional. You know, when you see an evangelical also preacher... super judgy. Right, well, when you see an evangelical preacher, and I remember when I was a kid, Jimmy Swaggart came to town. This was at the height of his powers as a, a speaker. Oh, did you go to the Cow Palace to see him? No, we didn't go to the Cow Palace. We went to the Oakland Coliseum. Oh, okay. And well, it was packed to, it was packed to standing room only. He was there on a revival meeting, and he was a very compelling speaker because he was just defending the faith against outside forces, and there was this kind of notion that it was us against them. And then he's like talking about the insidious effect of secular culture in in our society, right? So there's a lot of that. He, we went to this meeting for three nights. It was packed to standing room only. There was lots of, you know, talking to the Holy Ghost and everything. His thing was just to appeal to the sort of emotions. You make them feel like, despite the fact that they've packed the Colosseum, despite that, you make them feel like they're a minority, you know? Interesting. You're, you're fighting against those forces out there. You appeal to their emotions. You told them it was the world against them. He appealed to the scriptures that said uh, that we had to be separate from the world. Now, of course, that was completely out of a completely different context. They pull from the scriptures that come from when Christianity was being persecuted by the Romans and right. people were hiding in catacombs. That, that was is a no long longer the situation. Ago. But that was the kind of like letters that were written back and forth. Millennia ago. Yes. But it was still that attitude that we can't be a part of the world and look at the secular values they're pushing on kids, and that's the reason why. We can't watch that television show, or we can't do this, or we can't do that. So, yeah, that was that kind of world. And so, looking at it now, it's become so isolated. I think those people have become so isolated. I remember seeing the um, the letters are written to J.K. Rowling, who is a practicing Christian, about how evil the Harry Potter books were because yep. they didn't sort of understand that this entire set of books is a metaphor for the life of Christ, yes, which is well, weird. A lot of times they are picketing or mm. boycotting things that they have literally never experienced. Or have no understanding of, because it's very limited. We may have tilted our hand on this one, but mm -hmm. what is the viewpoint of this podcast? 
And I feel the viewpoint is to sort of liberate Christianity from the hands of people who are using it to political ends. And I think that's a really important distinction. Jesus himself was completely apolitical to the point where he was scornful of people's politics and wanted to know never took place ever in a political discussion, ever. So are we not political then? No, what we're saying is that it should. That when you start including Jesus as a political figure and using the scripture to justify your principles, you're acting outside of Christianity. There's a conflict that happened at the beginning of the last century where a gentleman published a book called The Fundamentals, and it was a number of points that he made about what you have to believe to be Christian. And so fundamentalism, as we understand it here in America, is barely over 100 years old. And it began to absorb politics into this sort of weird ethics. What we're doing is separating it from that, because the faith is not a part of this strict culture of belief. Okay, so evangelical and fundamentalism, they're not the same. They're not the same, but they often go together. The point of view that you hear from me is not the point of view of every Christian. All right, there are some who have different, varying kind of beliefs, but I believe that the faith should not be interpreted through the lens of fundamentalism or evangelicalism. I am myself politically left because I believe that the kind of faith that is represented by Jesus in the Gospels leans left. It leans towards helping the poor. It leans towards helping the sick. It leans towards helping uh, widows. There's an early letter from Paul to one of the early churches saying you can't neglect helping widows in your daily ministries. You have to assign people to help them. You have to assign people to work together to help the poor ones in your community. This is the reason, this is how you get the Romans to stop picking on us, is one way of putting it. It's also, in America, how you reach nonprofit status. <laughs> the message of Christianity is that God is brokenhearted over the way that we treat each other. The things that we do to each other, the way that we harm each other, the way that we take it out on each other, our own miseries. And so he becomes one of us to pull us to the side. It becomes a part of this kind of system of decay and death and everything. Yeah, but also to kind of get a, maybe a little bit of understanding of why right. we are terrible and this is to one each of the crazy other. Things like, about, oh, it fucking sucks down here. Everything hurts. Everything, yes, Christian. And that's one of the interesting points about it. This is a man who was born into poverty. He's had to work his entire life up until the point where he begins this ministry. And then he's homeless for three years, between one and three years, as far as we understand it. He's living on charity. Here's a person who doesn't turn down going to a place to eat, who loves to socialize with other people. This is not the Jesus I grew up with. This is the Jesus that was represented to me was very austere and judgmental. And so the Jesus that I get from the Gospels is a completely different person. And that's why I do have that left-leaning, because I do see how that's more in tune with that teaching than making walls to separate people. One of the things that we're going to do on this podcast mm -hmm. is talk about current events, current right. news events. I, I just want to be clear. We are progressive right. Californians. Mm -hmm. One of us happens to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And he's taking Christianity back. So are we trying to convert people? No, we're not trying to convert people. I don't... I not, mean, I'm definitely not. I have nothing to sell. <laughs> That's such a way to put it. But I'm not trying to convert people. This is the subject that touches me more than anything else. This is the only thing that's more important to me than uh, Godzilla, I think, which is saying a great deal. This is not an evangelical tool. If you hear me being impassioned about it, it's because it's the subject that makes me passionate. Right. And also the fact that it's very deeply in my nature, and that's at, almost in spite of what was done to me as a kid. Mm -hmm. 
it's like I found a different way to believe it. I, at the right age, began reading C.S. Lewis, a Christian intellectual. And so I left part of what was that thing behind and started going, there's a different way to take this. And I'm going to say it's not going to be an evangelical tool because I'm mm. not going to let it be an evangelical no, tool. No, it should never be. I am going to try and do my best to host. Uh-huh. But I am going to be constantly asking questions and mm. slapping stuff down. Also, guess who's the editor? It's me. So we're not no. proselytizing. No, no, no. We are clarifying. Mm. We're also, you know, frustrated at political events or, or current events. Mm. We're frustrated. And that's why right. many situations at the same time. And that's why I wanted to do this show. Right. Because hypocrisy doesn't sit well with me. That and the fact that you're being lied to. Oh, yeah. I really shuddered to think, in some ways, what would happen if I wasn't a part of your life and you were hearing this? What opinion you'd form of these people? Oh, it's the same opinion. No, I still I mean have the that, same opinion of those people. But I mean, there's there's some people who don't understand it and they'll go, yes, the what Mitch McConnell says and Sarah Huckabee Sanders says in defense of locking up children has the same moral gravity as a minister from the Episcopal Church, who's, you know, they've rejected all heterocentricity to their scriptures. They've actively taken steps to include lesbian, gay, transgender right. members in the church. So, yes, okay. it's like there are people fighting the good fight. So yeah. what, the, what Dr. King's teaching was, and what other people who've really represented the faith going forward... And the teaching of someone who is, you know, an evangelical who wants to hang, uh, wants an abbreviation, I guess is what I read today, in the rules about lynching to so that homosexuals are excluded. Excluded, from, yeah, from, yeah, right. I saw that. Protection, it's like, yeah, that person is not representing this faith. Franklin Graham is not representing this faith. So we're, we're calling people out. Yeah, we're calling people because out. That's our point of view, and uh-huh. that's what we're going to do. This is not, I'm not trying to convert you. If you get converted along the way by accident, that's on you. We're going to have different segments. Uh-huh. Some of the things that we're going to be doing, um, mm. we'll be answering questions, hopefully, from right. listeners. So if you guys have questions about Christianity, about Christians, uh, about anything that you hear that Christians evangelicals or Christians of any stripe, mm-hmm. well, we'll talk about the Catholic Church. Right. Oh, well. of course, yes. Of any stripe are doing in the world, if you have any questions about how they're inappropriately responding to things or appropriately responding to mm-hmm. things, if you have any questions generally about what the Bible says about anything, mm-hmm. any questions we'll take and consider. Right. And it's a big subject. Remember, there's 2,000 years of history. Yeah. So there's a lot to deal with. The other things that we're looking at doing are maybe what would Jesus do? Uh, advice through a Christian lens. Through a Jesus lens, let's put it that way. I've wanted to do an advice show forever, so the <laughs> here we go. But I want to again to make it clear and maybe to say it concisely: if you are very kind of fundamentalist minded, this might be offensive to you. Okay, I'm not out there to offend you. I'm just giving you that heads up going into it. If you have a very kind of right-wing interpretation of Christianity that is politically excluding people, this might not be for you. I'm going to counter that. Uh-huh. This might exactly be for you. Well, if you're willing to listen to we it. we are not speaking out of turn. No, and I'm, I'm not We are doing it. research. Right. You have a deep knowledge of the book. You have a deep history of analysis of scripture it's we're not 
yeah. you know, we're not putting eyes on it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in literature. I have a deep understanding of analysis of writing. I also have pretty strong historical background or background in history and also a research background. Mm-hmm. So we'll be researching our stories. Yeah. We are going to be, I mean, we're pundits, right? Like yeah. we're coming at this with an angle. Please listen if you think you disagree. And again, this is also not an evangelical outreach for the Democratic Party either. No, it's like I want to make that clear. And what I also want to put out is if people are easily offended, because there's going to be things that will be said that might be flippant, even by me. Yes, we're going to try and have fun. We're not, we're right. not, we don't want you to feel like this is going to church right. or going to school. And that, that's part of the issue that I had with church is that it was so mortally serious at yes. times that I think that if you're easily offended, this also might yep. be an issue for you. But at the same time, it's going to hew in its own direction and we're not going to... Jesus, as far as his teachings and the, the part that probably can be accepted even by secular people, was never a part of the establishment. He was constantly at war with political figures, right. at war with religious figures. He did not ever do things the easy way, frankly. And so, the, to me, the idea that he becomes an establishment figure is completely the opposite of what he was doing. He's here to open things up. He's here to put room for everyone at the table. It's not excluding people. It's not locking people in cells. It's not keep building walls. That's not what he does. Right. So so, so we're looking at, at doing cannon fodder. That's people that we think we're nominating for sainthood, you know, pending everything. We're going to talk about, oh, we're going to maybe do a worst person in the world type section. What have you mm-hmm. called it? Get thee behind me, Felicia. Yes, there we go. Get thee behind me, Felicia. Which I believe is a Friday (laughs) reference. We're going to talk about things that we are grateful for. We're we're going to try not to just be angry. No. Christianity was also supposed to be about joy. Be happy. Everyone has a little light to share with the world. Everyone does. There's something that you bring to it that that can contribute to the greater good. And that's really what this is about. This is about my specific lens and that has a cross in it, and your specific lens, it doesn't. But at the same time, there's hope for everybody. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone can contribute. Let's talk about the title. So the title of the podcast is Without Works. Where does that come from? It comes from James 2.15, but we're going to start with 14. This is one of the rare occasions outside of like uh, sort of a textual analysis that you'll hear me quote scripture, so don't worry. Uh, you know. Yeah, we're not going to open and close right. with a prayer or a scripture reading. What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's the thrust of this program. It, you can't say to somebody, you have faith, you're okay, just pray, everything will be better. Or even worse, right. you can't say, I have faith, right. so everything's going to be fine. Exactly. So the whole point of this and what we've tried to do, you have to do something. Because if you don't, your faith is meaningless. Gotcha. Get out there and do something. Get out there and do something. Everybody's got a little light under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. Under the sun.